Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I am your host, Ronnie, and I would like to thank you guys for coming in to listen to the new and improved Dented Pipe podcast. This is episode one. We will be going over the Glendale Supercross, the Triple Crown, last week. And as always, I like to start the show off with just a, a reminder. I have no affiliation with any of the riders, teams, manufacturers, owners, mechanics, or any of the sponsors involved in Monster Energy AMA Supercross. This is simply a podcast by a fan for the fans. I grew up riding dirt bikes my whole life, watching Supercross from McGrath getting his first win in 93 to watching him live at the Rose Bowl to last year going to the Triple Crown in Houston and everything in between. So with that said, let's get the podcast started. And I just have one question for all of you. Are you ready to podcast? Let's dive right into the action from the 250 class. This is round four at Glendale, Arizona for the first of three rounds. That's why they call it the Triple Crown. Now, just for those who might not be familiar with the Triple Crown, they run a little bit of a different format. They Instead of running heat races, they uh, do all the qualifying in the time qualifying. They take the 18 top riders, which they usually take out the heat races, and then they run the LCQ before the night show for the 250s and the 450s which each gives you your last four riders that fills out the 22 rider gate for the main event now what makes the triple crown exciting is instead of running one 15 plus one lap main event for the for the 250s and a 20 minute plus one lap main event for the 450s we run three main events for each class on the 250s, it's three 10-minute plus one lap main events. And on the 450s, it's three 12-minute plus one lap main events. And then your average score, they use the Olympic-style scoring. So the position you finish is the points you get. So if you get first, you get one point. If you get 22nd, you get 22 points. Then they add up your total points at the end of the night for an overall winner. And then your points are distri- your championship points are distributed on the overall finishes. So you're only going to win 26 points or lose 25 points depending on how your night goes. So it's, it's good in some senses. We will get sometimes a swing in points, but at the same time, you don't have two bad races, and then all of a sudden you're just blown out of the championship. But with that said, let's look at the action that the 250s brought. In main event one with the 250s, Austin Forkner and Christian Craig are literally banging bars through the first turn. Unfortunately, Christian Craig kind of gets pushed out. You know, the camera's right there, and he almost runs right into the camera, so it's a great shot. But Christian Craig gets pushed off the track, and he has to take it nice and easy and slow because of all the riders and all the obstacles right there. He can't just get back on the track. So the rule is you cannot accelerate, you cannot gain an advantage, and you cannot make passes if you are off the track. So Christian Craig has to take it nice and and easy and basically roll all the way into the corner before he can jump back on the track. So unfortunately for Christian Craig, that kind of put him back a little bit. But he still ended up having a good race in that first main event. So Austin Forkner would actually control this first race from beginning to end. Uh, Dylan Ferrandez got a decent start. He was about fifth place off the gate. But unfortunately, by the time he worked his way in a second, got that clear track to make a charge, Austin Forkner was gone. So Austin Forkner would win the first main event with Dylan Ferrandez getting second. Now our current points leader, Cooper, Justin Cooper, unfortunately didn't have too good of a race. He was about eighth place off the start. And the way the track was, you'd come all around the long sweeping start. There'd be a rhythm section, a 180 bull turn, another rhythm section, then a right-handed 180 bull turn into a whoop section. Somewhere coming out of the whoops, uh, we don't see it. They don't show it on TV, but the TV eventually cuts over. To, uh, Cooper's picked up his bike. He has gone down. His bars look like they're bent a little bit. He's banging up his clutch levers, getting his levers back to where he wants them, where he's used to reaching out for them. And he ends up having a lot of trouble getting the bike started. He says later on the podium at the end of the night that he kind of panicked. And the best thing to do on a 450 when they're high, I'm sorry, on a four-stroke 250 or 450 when they're high is to put them in neutral to start them. 
a lot of factory bikes nowadays do have remote starts, not the old school kickstarters like me who grew up on the two strokes. We were used to those uh, kicking the bike over and over, but two strokes weren't too hard to start again. In any case, that really hurt uh, Justin Cooper in that first race, and he ended up back really far in the pack, and it really made it hard for him for the rest of the night to try to get a good overall finish. Um, he would end up 18th. Sorry, I had to look at my paper real quick. He would end up 18th in that first uh, main event. So Forkner would win the main event, uh, followed by Ferrandez, and Craig would actually come back and get third with Moseman in fourth, Hartrath in fifth, Hayes, Oldenburg, Martin, Tanty, and Drake rounding out your top 10. That brings us to 250 uh, main event number two. And actually, Jay Wilson would cross the, uh, the whole shot line first with Justin Cooper right behind him. And Cooper, you know, being your points leader, he'd waste no time and take advantage of, of both Forkner and uh, Ferrandez being a little farther back in the pack after the first turn. And after the first lap, uh, the running order would be Cooper, Drake, Moseman, Forkner, Costello, Hayes, Martin, Craig, Oldenburg, and Ferrandez rounding out the top 10. So Ferrandez not getting nearly as good of a start as he did in the first one where he was in the top five. On lap two, Justin Cooper comes into the turn just before the whoops, and I think he was kind of trying to push it a little bit to keep his momentum up because the faster you hit the whoops, the easier it is to go through it. And unfortunately for Cooper, he ended up pushing the front end, and it washed out on him. He went down and half the field past Cooper after that. So for Cooper, he's had now two bad main events, but he would get up and get back into the race. Uh, let's see, we got six minutes plus one lap left in the race. Forkner is pressuring Drake. Now I want to stop for a second and talk about Drake. Drake came out of nowhere. He, uh, he came out and he led several laps. And Forkner got around him. Forkner was a fast rider, but Drake did not by any, any means crack under the pressure. So great job for Drake. But anyways, uh, Forkner would eventually take the lead. Fernandez at this point has moved up the fourth and is chasing Moseman and Hayes who are rounding out the top five. Cooper is back in 18th yet again. With four minutes left, Forkner pulls the trigger, takes the lead from, from Drake, and Fernandez takes third from Moseman, and Cooper has worked his way up to 13th. A little over a minute and one lap left, Fernandez moves into second, but Forkner is three laps ahead, or three seconds ahead, I my apologies. And Cooper is up to 12th. Forkner would end up winning the second straight race in a row. And Ferrandis would again get second, followed by Drake, Moseman, Hayes, Hartraff, Oldenburg, Martin, Cooper, and Wilson rounding out the top 10. And Cooper, uh, you know, a hard, hard fought ride, got back up to 9th, but you can't keep making those mistakes if you want to hold on to that points lead. That brings us to our third and final main event for the 250s. Justin Cooper would get the whole shot again for the second race in a row, and this time he would just start running away with it. He was taking advantage of both Ferrandis and Forkner being a little bit farther back. Not horrible starts, again, I think in the top five, top six, um, but they weren't right up front there with the whole shot to run with Cooper. We are about eight minutes plus one lap left in the race, and Ferrandis and Faulkner have both worked their way around Hartraff and are running second and third now. Uh, with five minutes plus one lap left, Cooper has extended his lead out to 3.8 seconds over his teammate and defending champion Dylan Ferrandis. A little farther back is uh, Faulkner. He's kind of doing the points thing. He knows if he stays in third and Ferrandis stays in second, he has the overall, so he's just kind of pacing him and playing playing or riding to to win the overall a little farther back in the pack we find michael moseman who was fighting back from a horrible start and trying to get a low enough score here in the third and final race to get on the podium for the overall standings we get towards the end with two minutes plus one lap left the running order is cooper brandis forkner hartraff hayes moseman clout martin oldenburg and Oberson rounding out the top 10. Justin Cooper would keep it together this time and not throw the throw the lead away. He led every lap of that third and final race. He ends up winning it. He ends up staying in front of his teammate, Dylan Ferrandez, and Austin Forkner comes across in third for the overall win. So your overall standings is Austin Forkner, Dylan Ferrandez, Michael Moseman did a good enough job and came through the pack enough in the third race to take that third and final spot on the overall podium. So great job for Moseman. 
Brandon Hartraff in fourth, Jacob Hayes, Mitchell Oldenburg, Alex Martin, Derek Drake, Justin Cooper got all the way back up to ninth with two bad first two main events. So good job for him. He played a little bit of of uh, a damage control. And then Luke Clout, good job for Luke Clout, would finish out your top 10 in the overall finishes. So with that, let's go look at some of our top riders. And let's let's just give a little my take of what they did good, what was their positive, and what was their negative from this race. So Austin Forkner had a great night. Not only did he win the first two races, but he got the whole shot or second place and had the lead within a couple jumps of the first two races. So he basically led every lap going into that third and final race. He got about a fifth place, fourth place start in that race, and isn't too bad, but uh, he knew he followed Ferrandis through the pack and, and got into third, and, and he had a strong feeling that Ferrandis wouldn't uh, be able to pass his teammate Cooper, so he just settled for third and took the overall. So for him, I think Austin Forkner starting to become one of the guys who's rising above, rising to the top of the class. He's becoming the guy. He's putting himself in a position. I will say right now that Austin Forkner has made himself as the guy everybody else has to be because he's uh, he's the most consistent up front. He was leading most laps in the season opener at Anaheim 1 until he made the mistake and got stuck in the tough blocks. I'm sorry, got stuck in the tough blocks, and that gave the win to Cooper. He won the second round in St. Louis. And then he had that, unfortunately, that nasty get-off in uh, Anaheim, too, in the whoops. But Forkner is constantly up front. He's constantly getting good starts. So he's going to be a guy that everybody else is going to have to go through if they want a shot at this championship. My positive for Austin Forkner is he is the first two-time uh, winner in the 250 West Coast class here in the 2020 season. So for him, that's, again, taking that step above. One win to Cooper, one win to Ferrandis, two wins now to Austin Forkner. The other positive I have is I felt like we saw a little bit of maturity out of Austin Forkner today at the race in Glendale. Not only did he ride smart in that third race, he rode a champion's race. And what I mean by that is Ryan Dungey proved you don't have to win every single race. You don't have to win majority of the races in a season if you can be at the top on the podium week in and week out and that's what Austin Forkner's done the other thing I liked about Austin Forkner is in the past he would push those limits until like he said last year it was uh he would keep pushing harder and harder in qualifying practices until he crashed until he knew what that limit was and look it eventually caught up with him he blew out his ACL and his knee, and it cost him the championship. He had won every single race. The only race he had lost was the East-West shootout where his teammate, Adam Cincerillo, and now the guy he's fighting for, for the championship, Dylan Ferrandis, were the only two guys to beat him in that East-West shootout. So for him to, I don't want to say settle, but not push so hard that he risked going down and crashing to try to catch and pass Ferrandis really showed me that he is uh, he's in it to win it, He's playing the long game. He's being smart, and he's not going to throw it away. Now, this might sound a little contradicting, but it's basically the other side of the same coin. My negative for Ferrand or for Forkner was that he settled for third place. And what I mean by that is not – it was impressive he didn't ride over his head and throw it away, but he said on the podium he figured – or he had a strong feeling that Ferrandis won't be able to pass Cooper, and that's how it happened. But if Ferrandis would have passed Cooper, then Ferrandis would have won the overall. And look at the guy who was leading, Justin Cooper. He crashed twice, actually, in the first race. Um, the first time they didn't show it, the second time he spun out coming out of the corner. And then he threw away the lead with no pressure from anybody in the second race. He had a little bit of a gap over second place, and he pushed it and lost the front end and went down. So now you're sitting here saying, not only do you hope that Dylan Ferrandis, who's been the fastest guy all night, isn't going to catch and pass his teammate, but you're also putting your faith in that Cooper Webb, or I'm sorry, Justin Cooper, doesn't make another mistake and throw another win away. So that's where, that's where my negative is, is... You can settle too much. You can you can ride defensive and you can 
give the championship away that way. So for Austin Forker, he needs to not ride over his head, but at the same time, not not just sit back and, and oh, and settle. You know, so, so again, like I said, it might be a little contradicting, but it's like heads and tails of the same coin. You know, they go hand in hand that you got to find that happy medium of being competitive, fighting for the wins. But when they're not there, not riding over the edge and crashing and getting hurt. That brings us to our next rider, which is Dylan Ferrandez. Now, Dylan Ferrandez is your defending 250 West Coast champion. And he's proven that running the number one W on his plates didn't just come by chance because uh, Adam Censorillo crashed out in Vegas. He put himself in a position to be there when Adam made that mistake, and he's done it again. After having an unfortunate round two where he got a bad start and got tangled up with Mosman in a first lap crash and ended up getting 12th, that really hurt him in the points. But now we come into Glendale. Now those first two races, uh, he ends up actually, Dylan Ferrandez goes to second place in all three races, so 2-2-2. Two, two, two. But now getting back to his teammate Cooper, who had a bad night, 18th in the first one. He fell back to 18th and worked his way back up to 9th in the second one. So that really hurt him in his overall standing. So that helped put Dylan Fernandez right back in it. And now he's only three points back from his teammate when he had quite a deficit coming into the night. So again, that's why I like the Triple Crown. You can get a swing in, po in points, but it's not catastrophic. It's not like they pay the 26 championship points to the winner of each round, and then that 18th and that 9th just killed uh, Cooper's chances of the championship. No, but he did lose a lot of points. Austin Forker left the night only 10 points back, and then uh, Dylan Fernandez is only 3 points back. So we're getting ready here to go to the East Coast break, and we got a nice, tight championship. Austin Forker can win every race coming on out, and if uh, – Cooper ends up getting second place in every race. Austin Forkin can still earn the championship. So getting back to Dylan Ferrandez, like I said, he had uh, decent starts. Uh, he was probably top five. I like I said, five, fifth, between fifth and eighth in each start growth. So for Ferrandez, that isn't horribly bad. Um, it's kind of funny though. These shorter races, he understands how important the start is, so he gets to the front. If Dylan Ferrandez can start every regular Supercross main event like he does a Triple Crown main event this week in Glendale, he might actually be winning a lot more races than any of these other guys. Um, so my positive for Ferrandez is good starts. Yes, I know. I know what you're saying. If you've listened to any of my other podcasts or you continue to listen to my podcasts moving on, usually my negative for Ferrandez is starts. But this week, it's his positive. It's the positive I take away from him. Um, three good starts, three good finishes. He uh, finishes towards the top when you start towards the top most riders do my negative is uh <laughs> feeling negative come when there wasn't a fourth race i mean he was on rails and he was the fastest guy every main event out there tonight so for dylan ferrandez way to way to have a championship night way to work your way back in the points way to be consistent you don't have to win everything to get back into it you're three points out going into next week in open regular main event regular Supercross, regular performance. If Dylan Ferrandis wins, Justin Cooper gets second, they're tied in points. So Dylan Ferrandis has taken this championship and put it back in his hands. It's no longer needing that mistake. Plus, all three of our riders, our top three riders who have quickly risen to the top in this championship, have all had one bad race. We're four rounds into the series. I believe there's nine rounds for the West Coast. So next week, roughly, will be the halfway mark. It's kind of it's an odd number, so you can either say we're halfway now, or I I would say we're halfway next week because if you say this is halfway, that's eight rounds. You have one more to go, so I will say we are will be halfway through the West Coast 250 West Coast Championship after next week's race in Oakland, and all three of our title contenders are in a position where they can, well, their championship dreams are in their own hands. None of them are needing a problem from any of the other riders for them to take advantage of. So our third rider we're going to look at is going to be Michael Moseman. He went 4-4-6 four, four, on the night. Moseman sat there and he put himself in a good position all night. He uh, wasn't up there with the, the top guys, Forkner and Ferrandis in the first two going at it. He put himself in a position where with Coop, Justin Cooper's bad luck, he uh, 
took advantage of it, and he, he pulled in fourth places in the first two. Unfortunately, in the third one, he got a bad start and had to work his way up. But uh, a very impressive night, a solid night for Michael Mosman, a little more where we expected him to be. And he's been decent. He's been up there in the top five every week, except for against St. Louis. He got caught up in that incident with Dylan Ferrandis, and both of them went down pretty hard. And I don't think Mosman was able to finish the the night like Ferrandis was because Mosman only got three points, so that's like 20th or 19th. So he ended up having even a worse night than Dylan Ferrandis did in St. Louis. But he's slowly working his way back up. He's bounced back from it in Anaheim, too, and now here at the Triple Crown in Glendale. So my positives for Michael Mosman is he had to put his head down in that third race. He had to really charge, and he showed me he had the heart, the determination, the speed, and the discipline. Discipline is, especially for these young kids, is the most important thing they can have. Because Austin Forkner can ride the wheels off his Kawasaki, but then he ends up on the ground right next to it. So that discipline of being able to push yourself beyond, say, 80% is their normal riding level, being able to push beyond that, but not to the point of redlining and losing control. So Mosman put his head down, he fought hard, and he finished sixth place in that third and final main event, which was good enough to get him that final spot in the overall third place podium position. My negative for him is he needs to minimize the mistakes. Like I said, with that, that bad race in St. Louis, he can't afford any more hiccups. He can't afford to fall over in any main events like Cooper did in Glendale in the Triple Crown. He can't afford to have another bad start and get tangled up in a first turn incident or first turn crash or or you know when you're that far back you're buried in the pack you can't choose the lines you want all the time you've got guys that you don't trust flying through the air next to you things can happen so for Michael Mosman he needs to make sure that he he really gets those good starts and gets himself in front where the riders are more of his caliber he can trust them and hopefully just let all the the mayhem and chaos in the first couple of laps and the first couple of corners just go on behind him and not affect him. The next rider coming up is going to be Brandon Hartraff. He went 5-6-4. Now my positive for Brandon Hartraff is he's a very solid, consistent rider. He's a guy I like to look at every other week when I can for my Pulp MX fantasy team because he is going to be there every time. You don't have to worry about that. My negative for him, though, is unfortunately he needs to show that he can fight for those third-place finishes. He ended up getting third place uh, in St. Louis and in Anaheim, too. Now, both Jet Lawrence and Christian Craig, the two Geico Honda guys, were in front of him. So he was in fifth, and in both races, St. Louis, they both crashed in DNF. Well, I take that back. Jet didn't DNF, but he banged his bike up so bad he lost a lot of positions. And then again, at Anaheim 2, uh, Christian Craig had the incident with Ferrandis, which I'm going to leave that alone. I'm not even going to get into that. But everyone knows what happened at this point. If you don't, you can Google it and you can see it and you can make your own mind and your own opinion. Um, on the other hand, also Jet Lawrence, he had that big crash, which he knocked himself out on the last lap and he ended up breaking his collarbone. Now, the other thing I'm going to mention, which I did it earlier, is Christian Craig ended up having some sort of crash in the second uh, main event and ended up breaking his hand, a boxer's fracture, so his hands hurt. They didn't show the crash. There was quite a few crashes that they didn't show on the televised program, but um, I was really confused because he was sitting on the ground and he kept reaching up for his eye. So it was like, I thought something happened to his eye. I thought maybe a rock came up and, and, you know, those suckers come out like bullets coming off the back tire of a 250. I can't imagine what that roost feels like off of a 450. But um, so now both Geico guys are out until after the East Coast swing, which is coming up in a couple of weeks. So that puts that gives uh, Hartraff a little better, a little easier time to work up to guys that have been in front of them the last few races are out for a few weeks. So there's two less guys he has to work for. But I'd really like to see Hartraff dig deep and uh, really fight for those third and fourth place finishes instead of just sitting back there and letting it develop and letting guys crash out in front of him late in the race and just handing it to him. 
But nonetheless, Hart Rap, I mean, hey, you're a top five writer. You are a top five writer consistently in the top five. You got two um, you got two top three podiums in a professional 250 race. That's uh, two more than I have. So, you know, in the end, you're doing a you're doing a great job. You're you're a good, consistent writer. Like I said, I love picking you for my Pulp MX Fantasy team. Um, so you might want to keep an eye out on him if any of you listeners play Pulp MX Fantasy. He's a guy to watch. I would look for next week if you have the picks. Um, so for for Brandon Hart, rap, I mean, not a bad night. Uh, doing what he normally does, getting a, putting himself in a top five position, and he's just. He's going to be that guy that's going to be in the perfect position towards the end of the season when anything happens to the top riders, whether it be an injury that takes him out or a big crash that really costs him a lot of points. He might be able to uh, he might be able to sneak his way up to third place in the championship by the end of the year just from the top three guys pushing each other and pushing themselves so hard they might take themselves out of this championship. So uh, good job for Heart Wrap. And let's take a look at our final rider for the 250 class from Glendale. I know I'm skipping a few positions. Usually I go top five. I try to go top ten in each class. Unfortunately, it's been a busy week. I kind of am coming down with a little bit of a cold these last couple days. So I'm kind of cutting this one a little bit shorter. But um, we're going to skip on down to the fifth rider we're going to talk about finished in ninth. And that is your current points leader, uh, Justin Cooper. Uh, Justin Cooper, <laughs> man, I I don't know what to say about him. You know, uh, in one sense, you know, he had a horrible night, but then you look at his overall finish. I was really surprised he finished ninth overall after finishing 17th or 18th in the first one and ninth in the second one. He came out in the third one and showed why he has that red background, why he is the points leader. He just ran away with that race and left the rest of the field behind him. But at the same time, he had the whole shot in the second race. And just imagine, if he could have gone 17-1-1, uh, I mean, that's eight more points you would take off his total, and that would have jumped over. He might have ended up finishing fifth overall. And that's where you got to – you look at the triple crown, and, and you can make up points, but unfortunately he crashed again and lost a lot of points. So my positive for Justin Cooper is his his starts are still there. I always talk about it with a lot of the writers. My positive and my negative for a lot of the writers are starts because that is such an important part of a race. I personally have not never lined up for a race. I've done you know the, the track days and and stuff like that uh, where you get right around the track, but I've never actually raced, so I've never lined up at the gate. But for for what I've seen at least at at least on the pro level. Unless you're someone with ridiculous speed, like when Tomac's on and Tomac's the rest of the field, he can come from 18th place and win. Ricky Carmichael could come from 15th, halfway through the race, be an 8th crash, pick up his bike and still win. And James Stewart, I, I don't even know what to say about James Stewart. James Stewart was just the man. He would find something on every track to jump that no one else would or no one else could lap after lap after lap, except for James Stewart. So... With these guys not having that kind of speed, starts is so important. Look at guys who start at the front. Even guys that aren't, like, look at Barsha. Uh, Anaheim won. He gets the whole shot. He finishes. He wins the race. Um, Mike Lessie was a great starter throughout his career. He would always get whole shots. He would fade back and maybe finish eighth or so. But if he started eighth or so, how much farther back would he have faded? Um, guys in the past, like Mike Kudrowski, Mike Kudrowski was always afraid of being in a first-term pileup, so he was always playing catch-up with his teammate Mike LaRocco uh, for a couple of years. They were in Kawasaki in 94 and 95. Um, look at some of your greats. Hmm. Ricky Car Carmichael was a good starter, but he wasn't a great starter. Jeremy McGrath, the king of Supercross, was always towards the front off the gate. Jeff Emig ended up being a good starter. And that's how he ended up beating McGrath in 97. McGrath struggled with starts on that Suzuki and ended himself front in great position. So for Justin Cooper, he has good starts. My negative for Justin Cooper, and we saw it last year in 2019, uh, especially in Nashville after, after uh, Forkner had hurt his knee and was out 
he he overcooked it into a corner and instead of kind of trying to do a block pass you know he kind of stabbed the bike in there on took both him and his uh competitor chase sexton who now somewhere in a position to battle for the lead and they both ended up going down now here in the the first uh crash he had in race one we didn't see it on tv they didn't show a replay we didn't see it live it looked like a pretty hard crash because to me it looked like his handlebars were kind of bending down a little bit so that means he might have uh, lost it in the whoops i don't know but he remounts gets back in it and then a few laps later they show a replay of him coming out of the same same corner and he just gets on the gas too hard and the rear end just spins out on him then you got the second race he's in the hole shot he's he's got the lead he has no pressure from anyone behind him. it wasn't like forkner or ferrandez were in second place and right on his fender fender he had a gap and he ends up losing that front end because it was uh drake was in second and he started gapping him through the first rhythm and through the second rhythm. He just I really think he was trying to get as much momentum as he could through that corner to hit the whoops that were coming up next with as much speed as he could. But he ended up pushing the front end and it washed out on him. So the unforced errors is my negative for Justin Cooper. He needs to tighten that up and get back to where he was the first couple of rounds. He rode a great solid ride at A1. And ended up winning when Austin Forkner made the mistake. He rode a good, solid ride at St. Louis and ended up uh, getting second, but still he was in that great position. And then that's when Ferrandis lost points. Just be calm and consistent. You don't have to win every race, but put yourself in a position to take advantage when your competitors struggle. So, Justin Cooper, you're still the points leader. You only have a three point lead for one. I hate seeing riders do bad, so you know I feel bad for for uh, Austin Forkner, especially as hard as he went down in those whoops uh, at Anaheim last week. And then I feel sorry for Cooper Webb having the trouble he had here. But as a fan, with two races left on the West Coast before they take a big break when we go East, we have a tight points lead again. We have a three-point lead between first and second and a ten-point lead between... Uh, first and third and like I said those three guys are gonna I don't think we've seen everything Ferrandis has yet I don't think we've seen everything uh, Forkner has yet I think Cooper is if he can keep his consistency up will force both these guys to lay it on the line if they want to win this championship come Salt Lake City so I'm really excited for the 250s uh, my prediction I was asked uh, I was asked last night on big uh, mx radio who my predictions were so i'll go ahead and throw them out on my podcast the same i did on his podcast um i think dylan ferrandez takes the the win in the championship he defends his one w i think uh, austin forkner comes in a very close second and justin cooper brings up third and i think those three guys leave a huge points gap over fourth and everybody else behind so yeah those are my predictions those are my takeaways from the Triple Crown in Glendale, the 250 riders, and uh, so here we go now. Now we're in the Premier Class. Now we're in the 450s. Three rounds, three different winners. Justin Barsha wins the season opener um, at Anaheim 1. Ken Roxon comes back in St. Louis and ends up winning round two after a three-year year, uh, drought after some big injuries. And then last week in Anaheim 2, uh, Eli basically just, he, he went in Tomac mode. He tomac the entire field. There was nothing anybody could do. He came from something like 8th or 10th place off the start. Roxon got the lead early, and he ran him down. He was hands down the fastest guy through the whoops at A2. Mookie might have been in a close second, but it, uh, Tomac was just on another level. And uh, that gets a little scary. If he can ever put a run of those together, look out. It, it, I don't know if there's anyone right now who can run Tomac's pace when he is on and he is Tomac in the fourth. So let's look at main event number one. Zach Osborne actually gets the whole shot. This made me very happy because as a player of Pulp MX Fantasy, I had Austin Forkner in uh, – take that back. I'm sorry. I had Justin Cooper as my 250 first lap leader. 
and I had Zach Osborne as my fourth rated first lap leader. So they both got me my bonus points right there. So Zach Osborne gets the whole shot, and he would lead eh, lap one with Tomac in second, Rocks in a close third. You had Stewart, Censorillo, Anderson, Baggett, Barsha, Hill, and Freezy rounding out the top ten after lap one. The first turn after the finish line jump, uh, the first turn before the finish line jump, I'm sorry, uh, completing lap two, Tomac would get inside and pass Osborne and take the lead. Ken Roxon would waste no time getting behind him and would stay close to close to his rear tire. Um, with about four minutes left into the race, the uh, defending champion Cooper Webb's back in 12th. Uh, Cooper Webb had, I, I don't know what to say, I, I, we broke a wheel on the Webb, Webb wagon. I mean, we're dragging an axle through this first main event, but I'm not going to give up. I am still on the Cooper web wagon. I will stay on the web wagon. I don't plan on getting off the web wagon. So keep dragging that axle because eventually we're going to drag it right on up to the top spot of the podium. Uh, halfway through the race, Roxin has made the pass for the lead on Tomac, but Tomac isn't letting him away. This was so good to see. Um, Tomac is, I mean, sorry, Roxin doesn't crack under pressure. But the last couple of years, he's been dealing with so much that he just hasn't been able to to stay in front when that pressure is there behind him. But this time, he rode smart. There was one time when they were coming into a corner, and instead of sweeping all around the outside like he does because he knows Tomac's right behind him, he goes kind of straight. He, he cuts that inside tough block and goes straight into the bull turn and wraps around. So that way, Tomac has no room to get inside of him and make a block pass. So great job there. He held the pressure all the way to the end. Uh, with two minutes plus one lap left in the race, Tomac is still pressuring Roxon for the lead, but Roxon looks smooth and steady. He uh, he looks to have it under control. We have uh, his teammate, uh, Tomac's teammate, Adam Cincerillo, the rookie, has moved up to third. Then we got Stewart, Anderson, and Barsha rounding out your top five. Um, in the end, Ken Roxon would win the first main event. And uh, I think Tomac kind of settled, played it safe there towards the end because Roxon was able to extend his lead to 1.5 seconds before crossing the finish line. And that he was closely followed by Tomac, Censorillo, Stewart, Anderson, Barsha, Brayton. Webb would work his way all the way back up to 8th, Hill, and Davalos, Martin Davalos, rounding out the top 10. So that brings us to our main event number two. In the first turn... Um, Ken Roxon gets a little bit of front wheel slide. He ends up bumping into Bogle. That stands Bogle up, who catches the back number plate with his uh, leg. Uh, Bogle's leg, uh, front end of the bike, ends up hitting Zach Osborne's outside or left number plate. That stands Osborne up, which he then locks it up and slides into the barrier. But for Bogle, that contact with Osborne ends up throwing him high side onto that rock hard dirt and he he was out and unconscious and they ended up red flagging the race before the first lap even finished because they wanted to make sure Justin Bogle was okay. Uh, he has posted on or it has been posted on social media that he is undergoing the AMA concussion protocol and he will not be racing next week in Oakland but he does not seem to have broken anything or have any long lasting injuries from that incident so so that's good we hope we give our best to Justin Bogle I hope he heals up and we look forward to seeing him back the the uh, races are gonna miss him because he he's a good guy he's a great presence great guy to meet and talk to in the pits and he's also a good competitor out there on the track so get well Justin Bogle so now on the restart after the uh, red flag after they get Bogle and medical treatment and get him carted off to get a further reviewed by the Asterix medical team I also want to take this opportunity to uh, give it up to the Asterix medical team. I mean, that's something that back in out of high school in 2000, I was an EMT in California for AMR ambulances, and, and I love the medical field. And what those people do and the fact that they are they are solely dedicated to Supercross, they are very familiar and well-trained uh, well and knowledgeable for the type of injuries that are common for racing dirt bikes. So I want to give it up again to the Asterix medical team and thank them for their service and what they do for all the riders. So that brings us back to the restart. Now this time, as memory serves me, I didn't look into this, I didn't really dig too much, but just off the top of my head, as memory serves right, when 
there's a red flag in a rider who has needed a good start but hasn't gotten it, usually ends up getting the start he needs on the restart. And usually the guys who get the pull shots finally up front, like Jason Anderson was, usually don't get great restarts. And that's kind of what happened here again. On the restart, Ken Roxon would get the whole shot with Tomek. Uh, going into the second turn, Tomek was about fifth or sixth place off this, the restart, and he overjumped. They were, there was a section where, when they were fighting going into the second corner rhythm section, when Ken Roxon and Tomac were pushing it and, and battling with each other for the wins, they would triple quad into this corner. Well, because Tomac was in a pack with some other guys, even though he was all the way to the left on the inside going into this left-hand turn, uh, there was two or three guys out to the right. Well, they were doing triple, triple, single. So being smart and playing a safe, Tomac did the same triple, triple, single. Unfortunately, being on the inside of the turn, he triple or he singled into the corner a little bit hard. Uh, flew a little bit farther than I think he meant to, and I think Zach Osborne started to cut down in the turn. So with that said, Tomac locks up the brakes. That forces the bike to stand straight up. So he's no longer leading to the left into the corner, but the bike's standing straight up. And then again, the back number plate of Osborne's bike hits Tomac's front tire, and the momentum pulls him over, and he ends up high-siding into the turn. It wasn't a hard crash. He didn't get hurt or anything. But it was in the opening lap. That's the worst time to go down. No matter how good you are, you don't have the time to pick the bike back up and only lose one or two positions in the first lap or two because everyone's still kind of close together. So for Tomac, he got up, and when he started going again, I only counted four riders behind him on the TV, and I think there was four or five riders who didn't even line up for the final main event. So that puts him somewhere in 10th or 11th with Tomac all the way out up front. So that's not a good scenario for Tomac to be in trying to get the best finish he can and maybe even be able to beat Roxon and take the overall. So with eight minutes and one lap left, Roxon has a 2.6 second lead over Cooper Webb, who is getting pressure from Anderson and Cicero. So Anderson, again, he was in the lead when the red flag came out. He got a, a good start. I mean, he was top five. That's not bad. But you can't give Roxon that kind of an advantage you got to be right up there with him right away. So for Anderson, he did lose a little bit on the restart, but still a good start nonetheless. Uh, behind Anderson was Censorillo, who had moved into fifth, and Tomac has already worked his way back up to sixth. So Tomac's on the move. Um, Tomac, though, makes a mistake in the whoops. It's not unheard of, but it's not, not, not common. And of all times, guess who's right behind Tomac? Malcolm Stewart. Who did I say might be the second fastest guy in the whoops? Malcolm Stewart. So Malcolm Stewart is able to get up there and make a move on Tomac. So now we're down to six minutes plus one lap left. Anderson gets right alongside Webb in the whoops. Once again, Webb gets passed in the whoops. Um, we're now three minutes with one lap left. Sensorillo passes Webb in the whoops. But Webb would get him back. Webb, Webb was smart. Webb was on the outside going through the whoops. And uh, you had Anderson Cirillo going down the inside. So what it ended up doing was putting – Adam came out of the whoops. They were they – were, when you're at the top level, I guess you can control the bikes good enough that they were skimming the tops of the whoops. And then with like three left, they would – they would, I guess, push down on the suspension so it would rebound on them, and they would end up jumping over those last three and landing on the flat ground, uh, sitting down with their leg out for the left-hander. Well, Adam says we're going to push it a little bit hard, so as he dove into the inside of Webb in the corner, Webb locked it up and just slid the rear tire around instead of going all the way around the bull turn, where in the middle, since Cirillo was just cutting in, he cut straight down and got a much better drive across the start straight into the finish line. So he was able to counterattack uh, Adam Censorillo that time. But on the very following lap, Adam Censorillo again passes Webb in the whoops. And this time he passes him early on in the whoops, so he doesn't have to overcook it into the turn, and he would make this one stick. Uh, Tomac would also come through and get, uh, get Webb in the whoops again. So, you know, Webb was struggling all night in those whoops. Um, 
time expired, so there's two laps left in the race. Going through the whoops, and Adam loses the front end. He ends up getting sent over the bars, and his back and tailbone slam into the face of the final whoop. So as his body's coming down from over the front of the bike, the ground's going up, and he hit that so hard. It ended his night. He didn't even get back on the bike. He didn't even get up. He quickly crawled over to off the side of the track, and he basically just sat there till the race was over. So he did come back and say he was okay. I'm glad to see that, and uh, I look forward to seeing him race in, in Oakland. I just hope we don't have too many more mistakes like that because, like we saw with Austin Forkner, you can only hit the ground so many times uh, besides tipping over in a corner and it before it comes back and bites you. So in the end, Roxon, he wins all three main events, followed by Anderson with an impressive second place. Tomac gets third, Webb gets fourth, and Davalos will round out your top five. So let's look at some of these top riders and their performances here at the Triple Crown. Uh, the first rider we're going to look at is going to be none other than Ken Roxon. Ken Roxon went 1-1-1, as we just heard. And had a great impressive night. He is the first 450 rider to win all three main events in a single triple crown. Austin Forkner did it last year in the 250s, but uh, both Cooper Webb and Tomac have both won two main events out of the three last year in 2019 triple crown races. But no 450 rider until tonight in Glendale had won all three of the main events. So that's a great job for Ken Roxon. He, uh, my positive is he, he looked dialed. His starts are on point. He was up front. The one time he had a bad start, um, he got lucky and was able to have a restart. Again, Justin Bogle, you know, no one, we don't like seeing anyone get hurt. And, uh, and actually it was the, it was, uh, Chris Blows that got him the restart that helped him. But again, just like with Justin Vogel, I want to give a shout out to Chris Blows. I hope you're, you're feeling good, buddy. I hope you feel better and uh, re recover quick because, you know, as as uh, Steve Mathis likes to call you zombie blows, you always rise again. There's just no no taking, no taking down Chris Blows for the count. So get better. We look forward to seeing you back out there on the track again. But getting back to Ken Roxon, my positive again is the starts. He's up front. He makes good aggressive passes. Now, he is a motocross champ, 450 motocross champion. And what he used to do in motocross all the time is he'd get an eighth place start, and by three turns he'd be in second or first. He's doing that in Supercross now. He might be getting a second or third place start behind Webb, behind uh, whoever, and within a couple laps he's in, or a couple turns, he's in the lead and he's running away with it. So Ken Roxon is looking to be on form of what Ken Roxon at his greatest can be. Uh, the other positives to that is that he, his top competitors are, they're, they're going to have to really, really get, get, I'm trying to think how to say this. They're going to have to fight hard. They're going to have to fight Ken Rocks in week in and week out. That's what it's going to come down to. Tomac has this, this blistering speed when he is on point, and I don't think people can touch him when he does that. But that's not week in, week out. Ken Roxon is good. He's fast. He's got starts. And he's consistent. You're going to have to take him out for him to get a bad start. Or it's going to take something unlucky. So for Ken Roxon, he's going to be there to fight every week. Um, so that brings me back to my negative for Ken Roxon. Yeah, I, I got nothing. Um... Oh, wait, wait, wait. I got, I got a negative. He finished outside the top five at the season over in Anaheim. <laughs> I mean, what can I say negative about Ken Roxon? I mean, he, he's back. I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. Ken Roxon is back. So that brings us to our second rider, Eli Tomac. Eli Tomac went 2-2-3. Two, two, uh, unfortunately, had the issue with Zach Osborne in the opening laps of the third main event, so he wasn't able to run Anderson down for second. I believe without hit that tip over and coming from all the way to the back, he probably would have gone 2 2 2, just like Dylan Ferrandez did in the 250 class. Eli Tomac looked to repeat his dominant performance for Anaheim 2 
Unfortunately, that's not what we saw from him. Um, the whoops weren't as big as a factor. Now, don't get me wrong. At Anaheim 2, it wasn't the whoops that made Eli Eli. Um, but that was a place he was hands down faster than everybody else. So I don't think they were quite as effective this uh, this week as they were last week. I think uh, Ken Roxon got his settings figured out a little better, so he was able to get through the whoops a lot better too. Um, and Eli Tomac would have to settle for second. He was unable to pressure Roxon into a mistake. Now, I don't know if he necessarily gave everything he had to try to pass him or if he just figured a second in the first is good enough to still get the overall. Um, my positives, what we saw out of uh, Eli Tomac is Tomac being smart. Tomac, um, much like I said with Justin Cooper, Tomac not push. I'm sorry, not Justin Cooper, Austin Corbett. Tomac not pushing it to the point where he ends up going down and crashing. He might have been able to try to rail through the sand, the long sweeping sand turn a lot harder and get Ken Roxon, but he might have lost it and gone down in the sand and got a worse finish. So he, he, he put his best effort forth and when an opportunity to take the lead or win did present itself, he accepted what he had, still got a good, uh, good finishes in all three main events, got second overall, and only lost three points to Ken Roxon. So for him, I'm glad to see that. I'm glad to see he's not making rookie mistakes. He's not pushing it. I mean, hey, he's only eight points back going into England. Um, now, looking into this a little bit more, he actually – Coming out of California, or I'm sorry, coming out of January, last year was only three points back. I thought it was a lot more than that. In 18 and uh, 17, he was double digits back leaving January. So he's in a good position. He's eight points back. He wins two races. Ken Roxon gets two seconds. Guess what? He's two points back. He does it three races. Ken Roxon gets second three races. He's now got a one point lead. So the championship is in his grasp, leaving uh, ending January. So he's not he's not coming into his own mid-season at a huge point deficit, needing to win everything and needing people to have bad luck. He can he can hold his own championship fate in his own hands still. So that is good for him. My negative for Tomac, Tomac needs to be better, needs to be ready to battle Ken Roxon from gate drop to checkered flag. Week in and week out. Like I've said before, we know when Eli Tomac's the field, when he fills it and he goes into Tomac mode, nobody can touch him. Even James Stewart said in a review that he thinks he would take everything that he had, or he used the term, James Stewart used the term, that both Ricky Carmichael and James Stewart had to bring their A game to beat Tomac when Tomac is on because he's that fast. But we get that one week, and next week he gets a fifth. You know, he didn't do it this week. He got second overall. But Tomac hasn't shown the consistency. Uh, you knew Ricky Carmichael was never going to give up, and it didn't matter where he started. He was going to be at the front by the end of the race. James Stewart had the speed, and, and he always had that speed every week. It was just a matter, was he going to crash, or would he be able to keep it under control? Because if he kept it under control, no one could touch him, just like Tomac. With Tomac, we don't get that though. Tomac doesn't like to push himself, and there's nothing against Tomac. This is probably actually really smart and going to cause longevity out of his career. He doesn't hang it all out. He doesn't ride it over the edge, and he doesn't crash a lot because of that. But on the flip side, if he doesn't feel comfortable on the track or something isn't set up right on his bike, he isn't going to get that you know, come from all the way in the back of the pack to batter your way up to third you know, and save a bunch of points. He, he's been known to get a 5th, 6th, 7th place finish like he did at the season opener. So that that's my negative for Tomac is you got to be ready to fight for this because it's no longer going to be uh, you win the most races and it's going to take someone being on the podium every week to beat you. you got guys now that are fast. You've already lost one to Barsha. Uh, my perspective, I think, uh, I think Ken Roxon and Eli Tomac both get five to six wins. So we'll say they get six wins each. That's 12. Barsha's got one. That's 13. We have what? 18 races. Uh, so out of 13, that leaves five races left. 
guys like Adam Censorillo, Cooper Webb, uh, Jason Anderson, uh, Zach Osborne, uh, shoot, a Triple Crown, uh, Justin Brayton could steal a win. So there's five guys there that could take that win. So you can't give Ken Roxon anything for if you're Tomac. You, you're not going to go out and win 12 races and Tomac wins four or Roxon wins four. I don't see that happening. I see them being toe-and-toe throughout this championship. So for um, you got to be ready on your bad days to fight for this championship, Eli. That brings us to our third rider, Jason Anderson. Jason Anderson, he improved through uh, the Triple Crown. He went 5-3-2 on his finishes. Jason Anderson has been quietly sneaking into third. Earlier I called him the, the silent assassin. That's what he's doing. He is now moved in. He's four, in fourth place in the point standings, but he's three points behind Barsha. He's only 11 points uh, out of the lead. So for uh, for Anderson, you know, like I said, in the main event, when I watched it live, I didn't even notice him, other than when he had that great start that he lost due to the red flag. So Anderson is doing exactly what he wants. He's flying under the radar. He doesn't like all the attention. He doesn't look at him. He doesn't like being the guy that everybody expects to win. But let me tell you about Anderson. My positive for Anderson is he shows the speed. His his traditional laid back, you know, totally cool and calm with his jersey untucked in the back, flapping in the wind. His loose, the bikes all over the place style that, that would put most people on the ground. But for him, he makes it work and goes really fast. I, I mean, he looks like he did in 2018, and he's being consistent. He is the only rider in the 450 class. That has not finished outside of the top five. He got fifth at the season opener in A1. He got third at uh, St. Louis. He got fifth again at Anaheim 2. And now he got third again at uh, Linda. So he has not finished outside of the top ten. Roxon, Tomac, Webb, uh, Osborne, Cicerillo, all your top guys, Barsha, they've all finished at least once time outside of the, the top five. This is that same consistency that Anderson used in 2018 to win the championship. Now he did win races too, but he showed me the speed. So I think, I think that third race, if he kept the lead, there was no red flag. Ken Roxon would have had, had a battle on his hands if he wanted to win all three. So for Anderson, if he just gets a little bit of starts and starts up front with Tomac and uh, Roxon. And Censorillo, I mean, he'll be fighting with those guys for the win week in and week out. My negative for Anderson again is I think he needs to get a win here, though, in the next couple weeks. Not necessarily by the time we go to the East Coast, but it would be beneficial if at uh, Oakland or San Diego if he can get a win. Because I think the dirt and the way the tracks break down and form on the East Coast benefit Anderson's style the best. Now, Anderson's going to be consistent. But if you got guys like Roxon and Tomac who are also going to be relatively consistent and go win five, six races, Anderson's going to have to win a few of these himself. And I think he needs to win one here soon to break up that confidence and the momentum that both Tomac and Roxon are uh, building right now coming off their wins before uh, they start getting, getting so much momentum that they just pull away from everybody else and make it a two-horse race. So that's what Anderson needs to do. I would love to see him get a win up here shortly. Uh, I'm really looking forward to him at these next two races. That brings us to Cooper Webb. That's my guy, Cooper Webb. He went 8-5-4 for a fourth overall. Cooper Webb, he, he kind of surprised me because he, he struggled in the whoops. He got passed so many times in the whoops, yet when you look at his overall finish, he got fourth. So he does what he does. Um, that's one thing about Cooper Webb. He did it in 2019, and he's done it again here with the exception of St. Louis because of that bad cold he had, and then I guess with the closed dome, all the fumes of the bike made it really hard for him to breathe. So he ended up in 12th. But with the exception of that, he he is he finds a way. My positive for Cooper Webb is he showed it in 2019, and I was showing it again here in 2020. Cooper Webb finds a way for his bad days to not be so bad as they'd probably turn out for other riders, or as you think they would be. With uh, with how bad he handled, how much he struggled in the whoops, you know, 
it looked like he just kept going backwards, backwards, backwards. But getting those second place starts in the second and third main event kept him in the top five. I mean, he went five and he dropped back to fifth and got fourth and went out and Cincerello crashed out. So he would have gone five, five if Adam Cincerello didn't crash in the woods. But still, top four overall. I mean, he might have been fifth overall if, if Cincerello stayed up, but still kept it in the top five. And that's the consistency that these guys need to have. Now he just needs to start rattling off some wins like he did. Um, and now going into Oakland, he has a good history in Oakland. He actually won the Oakland race last year uh, on route to his championship. So, so again, talking Pulp MX Fantasy, I think I used uh, Cooper Webb last week for the Triple Crown, so I can't pick him going into this week. You can't pick the same rider two weeks in a row. But I would, I would take a good look at uh, Cooper Webb. He could have a decent handicap. He had a four handicap last week. So if you can pick Cooper Webb, it'd be someone I'd keep an eye on uh, to use in your Pulp MX Fantasy going into to Oakland. Uh, but that brings me to my negative, which I've mentioned several times. Uh, Webb has been struggling in the whoops. He struggled at Anaheim too. He struggled here. Webb, like Marvin Moose scan, so I don't know if it has to do with the steel frame of the KTM, but... They tend to hop through the whoops, and so far this year, Dirtworks has been making the whoops a little bit bigger, a little bit tougher, and for some riders, that's great. For Webb, unfortunately, it's hurting him, so he's got to find something. He's got to find, he can't just rely on the track being set up so that the whoops are jumpable for the fastest line. He's, he's going to have to find a way to either make up a whole lot of time everywhere else on the track, or get better at the whoops. So... So that's my negative for Cooper Webb is the whoops. That brings us to Justin Barsha, the winner of the season opener. Barsha came out, and I got really excited. You know, he won the season opener in the mud in 2019 at Anaheim. But he really didn't back it up after that. So when he came back this year, won it. That's great. Dry conditions. Um, so there's no, you know. We all know the weather is the great equalizer. The mud, anyone can win in the mud. But uh, but this time around, again, it was dry. So so Barsha did what Barsha does, and, and he ran fast. But then this year, Barsha came back and backed it up with a second at St. Louis. And on top of that, he ended up being really sick, and the reports were that he was thrown up on the podium after the race. So to see him do that, my mindset was like, man, Bam Bam is back. Yamaha's letting him rev the bike. Yamaha's letting him ride the way he likes to. They're no longer trying to change how he rides. He's gone one, two, and two with a sickness. He's coming for the championship this year. But unfortunately now he's kind of slid back to, to the normal place we'd expect him, that fifth through the eighth place rider. Um, I really hope he can find some fire underneath him and, and start getting some, some momentum and get back to where he started the season. My positive for Barsha is he's still 30 points. He's only 3 points behind Tomac and 11 points behind Pete. But if Barsha can get back into the podium, get these top 5 finishes, you know, get back to the East Coast again where these guys like Anderson and Barsha who like to hang it out and hit the corners hard, you know, the tackier dirt, the clay, and the ruts that they can hook into and just, just rail stuff works better for them. Um... So I think East Coast is going to help him out a lot. My negative, though, is his inconsistency of starts. I say this a lot with riders because, again, as I explained during the 250s, starts are half the battle. But looking at Barsha, A1, he gets the whole shot, he wins the race. St. Louis, he gets third place start, he finishes second. A2, he gets a 12th place start, he finishes ninth. So right there, this season... Shows us that Barsha, if he gets a good start up front, top five, he can finish inside the top five and be be a challenge for for the win. Um, he had mostly mispack starts. Um, they never really focused on Barsha too much. You just saw him in the background as other riders, or he is passing Webb in the in the whoops. But Barsha. I think has the speed. I just don't think he has the consistency off the gate right now. So maybe Barsha and Dylan Ferrandez need to get together at the Yamaha test track and, and get these Yamahas dialed. I mean, the star Yamahas were dialed during the 2019 motocross season. 
Uh, I can't remember what race it was. I think it was Southwick. I mean, if they had the right photographer at the right place, it was like a perfect ad for the Yamaha uh, YZF250s. All five of their riders were one, two, three, four, five off the gate. So maybe Ferrandis and Barsha need to just start hammering starts together and challenging each other and, and getting those Yamahas dialed because Blue Crew's got it if they can just put it together. That brings us to our last rider, and that's Adam Censorillo. Censorillo got third in the first race. After tipping over in a corner in the second race, he was still able to get sixth, and then unfortunately he had that bad get-off in the third race in the whoops. My positive for Anna Cesarillo is that he posted in social media this week that he is okay. He He's not, I mean, I'm sure he's sore, I'm sure he's stiff, but nothing broke, nothing major. He will be in Oakland to race. And uh, that's my biggest concern is we saw it a lot with the 250 era Adam Cesarillo. He made a lot of mistakes, he crashed a lot, and he would miss a lot of races with injuries. So I'm glad he's okay, he's not hurt. But like Barsha, Censorilla seems to find a way to find that early success. So this is my negative for for Adam Censorilla. He, like Barsha, they both started out 1-2 at the opener. And now Censorilla is slowly fading back in the pack each week. And now he's crashing. We can't, we can't have Censorilla. I don't want to see him get hurt. I'd rather see Censorilla get an 8th, ninth place in points. And finish the entire Supercross season, do the same thing, finish 8th or ninth place in motocross, and get a full 450 rookie season under his belt and come out swinging. More so than I'd like to see Cicero get his first win and try to battle for the championship his rookie season and end up crashing out and hurting himself. So my negative for Adam Cicero is that he's, he's starting to tip over a little more, starting to make some of those rookie mistakes. And I just hope those rookie mistakes don't come and bite him and end up taking them out of the series. So that's going to wrap up this first episode of the Dented Pipe Podcast. Uh, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, if you would, hit the like button and share it with everyone you know. I want to give a shout-out to uh, Brad for having me on last night, uh, Tuesday night, on the Big MX Radio, uh, episode 736. I appreciate it. It was a blast, and I enjoy Enjoy doing it. I hope I get the opportunity to do it again. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And meet, uh, meet me back next week for episode two when I recap uh, Oakland. So with that said, uh, I hope you enjoyed this exciting episode of the Dented Pipe podcast. And have a great week.